There we go. I think you can hear me okay. It's good to see you all. I hope you are well today. It's actually nice to see all of you guys from different parts of the world and all over. Some of you haven't been here in a while, so it's great to see your faces again. And I hope you are all well. Um, as Brent said, we're starting a very ambitious preaching series today called The Story of God. And I say very ambitious because we're hoping in seven weeks to be able to cover all of human history and all of the scriptures and get all of the big idea of what God has been doing throughout those two things. So we're going to start right at the beginning in Genesis uh, chapter 1 and go all the way to the end of the Bible in Revelation 22. And we're going to look at all of the stuff that God has been doing throughout history and how we find our parts inside of that. We want to zoom out to see this big picture of what God's doing. And then we want to zoom in and find out how we are connected to all of this. So practically, I think this is a really important series for us because as a church, we really do love the Bible. We love the Word of God. We love the Scriptures. And we want to get to know it better and better. And the statistics and the research that people are doing show that it seems more and more that people are becoming biblically illiterate and they don't really know what the Bible is about. So we're really hoping over these seven weeks to make you more confident to understand at least the story of the Bible and the big chunks and big parts of the Bible. So when you come to read it, you actually know what's going on and you can kind of tie things together. We really hope that this series would equip you and empower you to understand the Bible better for yourself. And then secondly, I really think that this is probably the preaching series we should be doing at the moment with all that is going on in the world and the craziness of what we see in the news day in and day out. So I don't know if you guys saw this uh, Guardian News front page of the newspaper that came out last week, but I saw this and I was absolutely horrified. I think it's powerful, but I think it's also absolutely horrific, as you just see number after number of people that have been slaughtered and killed in terrorist attacks or bombings or whatever it might be that have been going on around the world. And of course, this is outdated already. It's not including Munich. It's not including Kabul. It's not including all the other things that have happened in the week and a half since that happened. But I saw that and I was so struck by it, you know. That is a lot of people that have died and a lot of horrific incidents. And right at the bottom, you read, it never stops. The world mourns another terror attack. And I just think for us at the moment, the world is a crazy place to be living. There are so many insane things that are going on all around the world and in this country that we actually need to tap into the big story of what God's doing. What is God's eternal plan and purpose and how do we fit into that so that we can make sense of things like this and some of the things that are going on in the world. So we're doing something called the story of God. And probably I think about us, we read through the Bible and we read a whole bunch of different stories of people and places and situations. And maybe in some ways we feel like this is not what we would want, you know. If we were going to write the Bible today, we'd do something a little bit differently. Maybe we'd put together a great Christian manual, you know, and it would have everything indexed exactly as we want. So tomorrow morning if you wake up and you really don't feel like going to work, you're like, oh, Monday, another week, uh, another start, another rotation, you know, and you get out of bed and you go, I don't know if I can do this. So let me pick up my Christian manual and I'll turn to the index and I'm going to go to the little work section and you scroll down work with the subcategories and you find work inspiration. You've got your coffee, you've got your Christian manual and you turn there and you read a few of these kind of short, punchy, like tweet-sized scriptures which give you a little bit of oomph and inspiration for the week ahead. Okay, I've read five of these. I can do this week now. I'm, I'm ready. You know, I can go to work. I can take on the challenges of life. But that's not what the Bible's like. Maybe other than the book of Proverbs, which maybe you could kind of fit into that category, the Bible is a whole bunch of different stories of people throughout time, back, back in the day to a little bit more recently. But these stories of situations and people and highs and lows and all of these things at time probably don't seem to connect with our lives and at time don't seem to connect to one another. But that is what God has given us in the scriptures. And even though in the background in books like Esther, which don't even mention the name of God, we see that the big story of God 
is weaving its way throughout human history and throughout time for God's eternal purposes and plans to be fulfilled in our world. And I think if you have some kind of Christian background or you've been in the church or you've watched some Christian TV or I don't know, you read a kid's Bible growing up, I'm sure you've got a whole lot of these snapshots of what is in the Bible in your mind. So maybe snapshot one is Jesus. He's quite a big deal in the Bible. Or you think of um, David and Goliath or you think of Noah and the ark or I don't know, whatever stories you've heard or what you might think of Adam and Eve in creation. And maybe you've got some snapshots of things like angels and demons, you know, that's in there somewhere. And some snapshots of some weird things that you don't really understand, so you're just happy to show And we've got all of these ideas in our mind of stuff that we know is in the Bible, but we don't really know why it's connected, you know? What do angels have to do with David and Goliath, which have to do with Jesus, which have to do with us today? So we've got all of these stories in our mind, but they're not connected. And one of the things we're hoping to do with this series is show you how throughout the scriptures and throughout human history, God has been at work doing the same thing between the scenes, behind behind the scenes, around the ages, working out his plans and purposes in our lives and in our world. So that's what we want to cover in this series, the big story of God, which is really the big story of our world. It's the big story of human history. It's the big story of everything, really. And I'm going to start today by looking at creation. So I don't know if any of you guys have watched Terence Malick's film, The Tree of Life. Anyone? Okay, we've got one, two, three in this room. It's a horrifically boring film. It's over three hours long. So if you're looking for something to watch this afternoon, you want to curl up on your couch or in your bed, I really recommend you don't get that film. And Shell and I hide it. I think I was speaking on the tree of life, and I thought, let me be inspired and see if this is helpful. And it's really not. It's, it's visually stunning. It's an incredible film. He's an amazing director. But actually, the story itself is very long and drawn out. But the film starts with this 14-minute scene of creation. That's why you see it's a very long, drawn-out film. 14 minutes. I wanted to show it today, but it's just too long to work into this uh, and really boring. But 14 minutes of this visually stunning picture of creation. And it starts with just darkness. And you see light comes into the darkness. And then there's universes and galaxies and quasars and all of those things I don't really understand. And you see the powerful planets and suns and all of these things being formed in the galaxy. And then it zooms into our world and into animals being formed and mankind being formed. And then into modern-day life as it is. It's a really powerful concept. And I think for us as modern people living in 2016 in Durban, it's really helpful for us to kind of get out of our lives and what's going on around us and zoom all the way back to the past and to look at creation and be reminded of the start of the story and what God was doing in the beginning. And then, and I'm skipping ahead now, to go to the end of the story, the stuff that is still to come when Jesus comes again and there's a new heaven and a new earth and all of that stuff. And to look at those two bookends of human history and then to find ourselves in the middle of the story somewhere. I'm sure every single one of us is laying on the couch on a day like today and we flipped on the TV and we've kind of just started watching a certain part of a movie. And you get in and you're just like, I just want to watch something. And after flipping through a few channels, you go, okay, I'm committed to this. This looks okay. But as you lie there, you actually don't know what is going on in the movie. You don't know the characters. You don't know their backstory. You don't know how this movie started. You don't really have a context. At first, you don't even know the genre of the film. Is this action? Is this comedy? Is this thriller? Romance? What is the story? And as you go, you try and make sense of something of what is going on in the movie. And it's kind of the same with people in life today. 
For most people disconnected from the story of God, they come into life, they're born, they grow up in a home, and over time, there's this reality, I've got to make sense of life. But if you don't know the story of God, there's thousands and thousands of years of history before us, and we don't know what's happened. We don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we've missed. We don't know what parts of the plot we don't know have happened. We don't even know what role we are called to play or what genre life is. So we try and make sense of life on our own with some of our friends and family and some things that we read and watch. But really, we're disconnected from God and from the big story. But every story has a beginning. Every story has a beginning. And today, as we look at creation, that's what I want us to do. I want us to look at the beginning of time, the beginning of the story of God, and to find our place in that and to carry on from there. So if you've got a Bible with you, can you turn to Genesis 1 and 2? Um, I'm going to read some of it. It will come up on the screen behind me if you don't have. But I'm going to read some of it, not the whole two chapters, just for the sake of time. But you're welcome to go home this afternoon and read a little bit. And we're going to start right at the beginning as God leads us into the big story of who He is and what He's doing in the world. So Genesis 1 verse 1 says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, which is a really cool biblical creative way of saying that God made absolutely everything that exists, whether it's seen or unseen, spiritual or physical, whatever it is, God made it. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. This is how the Bible starts and this is how we enter into the story of God. And this week while I was preparing, I kind of looked in a bunch of other books online to see some of the other great first lines of uh, great books in literature and history. And none of them really struck me too much. I think this is probably the best there is. I found one book that started this way. I am an invisible man. If you can guess the name of the book, it was The Invisible Man. I just figured to myself, that's not that creative. You kind of got the whole story up front. But the Bible starts this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I think those four words that started off really root us in the story of God. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, Grant, or in the beginning, Michelle, or in the beginning, you. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God, not your career or your desire for success, your desire for a relationship, your desire for fame or glory or wealth or whatever it is you're chasing after in this life. In the beginning, God. And right as we enter into these scriptures, we see up front who the main character is. This is God's story, God's creation, God's book, and God is the main character of what is going on in this story. And this God who creates everything that exists speaks and light comes into the darkness. God speaks, and some powerful things happen. And I'm sure you've had that situation before where you've tried to speak to one person or a group of people, and they've completely ignored you. God doesn't have that kind of situation, you know. God speaks, and things happen. God speaks, and people listen. God speaks, and things change, and something comes out of nothing. And we read here that God speaks, and light comes into the darkness, and there's the stars, the galaxies, the planets, the suns, all of that stuff that Terence Malick portrays so boringly in his film. God speaks, and there's plants, and animals, and new species, and humanity, and all of these things happening. God speaks, and things happen. And if I can just nerd out for a second, in this first verse of the Bible, there's a whole lot that we can learn about God. I'm not going to go into all of it, but I want to go into three things because I love words. So first thing, it says, in the beginning. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but that means that God existed before the beginning. So God created time. 
And I like to try and think about this as philosophically as I can. God created time, but God existed outside of time before there was time. So for us in this very linear kind of time-driven world, it's hard for me to imagine more dimensions of reality where you could exist outside of time and where time didn't matter and what that would even look like. But God is the kind of God who is far greater than us. He exists in planes and dimensions far greater than our understanding of reality. And God created time, and he created our understanding of everything that existed. Secondly, if you were to write a list of every attribute of God, starting in Genesis 1, going to the end of Revelation 22, just going down and writing them down, God is, God is, God is. The first one you would write is God is creative. Because in the beginning, God created. And I think that's a significant and a beautiful thing. You look at a sunset, you look at a sunrise, you look at people, you look at animals, you look at all of the things around our world, and we see God's creativity and God's beauty. God is creative. And thirdly, and I think this is quite an amazing thing, is as I've said already, God speaks and things come into existence. God speaks and things happen. And the point I want to make there is God is really, really, really powerful. And I think sometimes we become uh, too familiar with the reality of who God is, and we forget that He is powerful. And I want to say because God is powerful and God cares about us, that is why we pray. And that's why Brenz is saying we want to get together this Thursday with Christians and churches from around the city to pray, because we believe that God is powerful, and when God hears prayers, He answers. He can make something come out of nothing. He can make things happen. He can bring change. And we want to trust God for change in our lives, and we want to trust God for change in our city and the world that we find ourselves living in. So we enter into this world of Genesis 1 and 2. And Genesis 1 and 2 are actually two different creation accounts. And we're talking about this big picture and zoomed in kind of reality. And Genesis 1 is the big picture, the 30,000 foot view, the birds I think looking down. And we see in this one chapter, the seven days of creation, and we see God making all of these things. And it's kind of like this fast forwarded picture through all of this reality and all of this creation. And it is so much to process all that God has done all in chapter 1. And then it gets to verse 24 in chapter 1, and for seven verses, it just slows down. The seven verses where we look at day six, and we see Adam and Eve being made. It's like God slows it all down because he wants to say, this is the climax, this is the focus, this is the pinnacle of what I'm doing in creation has got to do with Adam and Eve. And then in Genesis 2, as we enter into that world, we see really the sixth day focused on more. We see the Garden of Eden. We see Adam and Eve. We see them together. We see God engaging in that space. Those are the two creation accounts that we see at the beginning of the Bible. And I want to read just a little bit out of Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28. And there's just a ton packed in here that's important for us to understand. It starts and says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And again, I'd love to encourage you, go home, like snuggle up in a blanket, read those three verses, because there's so much going on in there. But I just want to zoom in on a few things quickly. Firstly, we've got to ask ourselves, who is us? Who is the us that God is speaking about there? It says in verse 26, let us make man in our image. So who's God speaking about? 
Now, some people will say, well, God's probably speaking to his heavenly court, all the angels that are gathered around and worshiping him and serving him. He's probably speaking to them, and he's involving them in the process, which is a really cool thing. He's saying, what do you guys think of this? Let's make man in our image. But really, that can't be true. We've got to scratch that one off the list because we have not been made in the image of angels. And nowhere does the scripture tell us that actually angels were involved in the process of creation. So actually, theologians tell us that probably what's going on here is one of the first clues of the Trinity. Now, I reckon everyone in this room has heard that word, but you're not, you might not fully understand what that means. And the Trinity is this Christian doctrine or understanding of who God is. So we believe in one God, but, and this is where things get a little bit trickier, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe in one God in three persons. And now this is where it gets even more interesting. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father, but the three are one. Have I lost you yet? That is the Christian doctrine of what the Trinity is all about. And it might seem mysterious and out there in a way, but one of the things I love about it is we will explore the realities and the depths of God for all of time, and we will learn more about His holiness and His love and His grace and His strength and His sovereignty and who He is more and more. But what I love about this doctrine of the Trinity is before in the beginning, God existed in this community within Himself. God didn't need anything. He had relationship. He didn't need us to serve Him. He didn't need us to worship Him. He didn't need friends. God was fine on His own. And out of this beautiful Trinitarian relationship and love, God decides to make mankind so that we can know Him and that we can know His beauty and share in His value and understand that He is the treasure of the universe. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are speaking together and they say, hey, let us Make man in our image. So we've been made in the image of the Trinitarian God. And that is why relationships are so important to us. Why community is key. Why we meet as the church of God. Because God doesn't want us to be isolated and out on our own. Secondly, this verse says that God would make us in, or it says in our image. And that's a really huge thing. You and I have been made in the image of God and no other part of creation gets to claim that. It's an amazing honor and privilege that we are unique as humans in the creation story made in the image of God. And as I was like studying and looking through this, I found some interesting things. So the word for image there in the Hebrew is this word salem, if I'm saying it right. And the idea of salem is it could be translated as statue or idol, which is quite an interesting thing. And when God speaks about us being made in his image, he's saying, you know what, mankind you are like a little statue or idol of me. So you can probably imagine in religions all around the world, in temples all around the world today, they are little statues or idols at the front on a shrine. And they are shaped in the image of the God so that when people go in, they can see a representation of what their God is like. And what's so amazing is in creation, God says to us, you are made in my image, you are my salem. And you know what? In the temple of the universe, you are here to bear image to me. You represent me. When people see you, they see something of what I am like. But there's more to this. And the full phrase there is Salem Elohim, the image of God. And this idea, this phrase, image of God, would have been a term that would have been given to a whole bunch of these ancient Near East kings. So they would have lived and they would have been the image of God, but that was unique to them. So the kings and rulers were the image of God. Everyone else wasn't, you know. And I'm sure, you, sure you've kind of seen that either like back in the day in history or on the history channel as you've watched different things. But often kings and rulers or whatever back in the day would say that they were kings and would be worshipped or that they represented the king. In this earth, they represented the divine and that actually they had authority to speak for him in this earth. 
And to us, I think we hear that and we think, well, that's a really great way to manipulate your people. That's a really great way to usurp power and kind of say, you have to serve me and worship me and give me all of your wealth because I am God or I am God's representative and high priest. And what happens here in Genesis chapter 1 is so profound because it's powerful and subversive. The way things worked is being challenged by the writer here. And he's saying, you know what? Every single person that has been made has been made in the image of God as a representative of God and as a king and queen in this world who are called to rule and reign on earth with God. It's a really profound thing. If we slow that down for a bit because we really need to get this in us. We are called to represent God in this world as his salem. And like the kings of old, we are made in this world as kings and queens to rule and reign with God in this world. This clearly means that you are very important to God. God values you and that you have a role to play in the story of God in this world. I want to make one brief but I think important application of this idea that we are made in the image of God and it's this. Racism is sin. I think there's this reality at the moment that there is so much stuff, um, animosity, hatred. It's like the world has exploded with all of these racist realities that are going on at the moment. And obviously South Africa has got this long history of racism with apartheid and the systemic injustice that was going on with that whole thing. But even in America now, we see this Black Lives Matter movement and we've seen how many uh, young black men have been shot by policemen just in the last few weeks and just kind of the horror and terror that's been going on along with that. And I'm sure you would have seen in the news now that there was a man in Florida this last week who was shot while lying on the ground, arms in the air, unarmed, while trying to help his autistic patient. It's such a ridiculous situation. Our world has exploded around this issue. And if we understand Genesis 1 and we understand what God is saying here, it has to change our mindset and it has to challenge that because we have been made in the image of God as his representatives and his rulers in this world. And all of us, not just some, all of us have been made in the image of God. And that means black, white, no matter what race or background you might come from, we are all equal and we all have value and we're all called to represent God. And that means we can't treat each other differently. We are all equal. I read this quote of Rick Warren this week. He said, racism is a problem of sin, not skin. And I think for us as a church, if we need to repent of racism, now is the time. Today is the time. If there is racism in our hearts and our lives, we need to repent and we ask, need to ask God to change our hearts and to change us. Because we are called to be a prophetic people that speak to the city and the world around us of the kingdom of God, which is a group of people uh, united and brought together in Christ, different backgrounds, different races, different everything, but united in Jesus. And we're all made in the image of God as his representatives and rulers in this world. And every single one of us, no matter your race, your culture, your background, your wealth, your beliefs, we are equal in value and dignity and honor because we are made in God's image. Ray Point Durban, I think this is an opportunity for us as a community to speak differently to the city around us about what a redeemed community of people can look like. So I want to ask, after the service, if there is any racist clickiness in us, I hope it would be broken. And as we go downstairs and grab tea and coffee, I hope it's not the white group and the black group and the this group and the that group. I really hope that God would unite us and that we would get to know each other better and better as a community that reveals Jesus' heart. And in Genesis 1, we see Adam and Eve made in the image of God, called by God to represent him and rule and reign in this world, given a commission and a charge by God. And verse 28 says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves in the earth. And we've spoken about this a few times here. It's called the cultural mandate. And it's this commission that God has given to mankind even before sin entered into the world. And here God, who is a world maker, who has made the earth and everything else, calls us, you and I, to join in his story of shaping the world that we live in. I think the word subdue and maybe even the word dominion sound a little bit horrific to us. They sound like such strong, oppressive words. But the word subdue means that actually we would tame something that is wild and that we would bring order to the chaos that we see in the world around us. And when we partner with God as his representatives, as his royalty in this world, we are called to bring his rule and reign into this world, to bring order into the chaos and brokenness of the world we find ourselves in, to tame the wildness of the sin and brokenness in this world. And for you and I, as we respond to this commission of Jesus, the kingdom of God advances and the rule of reign comes and there is human flourishing in the world that we find ourselves in. That is Jesus' intention from the beginning. You and I have been designed as God's representatives to rule and reign in this world. And we see throughout human history these moments of incredible flourishing as mankind have taken on this commission well. And we have served the world and we have served each other and we have lived righteously and we have done what God has called us to do. And we've seen these moments of incredible evil as men and women have sinfully twisted this call of God and have lived unrighteously and committed great evil and atrocity for their own purposes and plans in this world. And there's a responsibility on you and I to join God in what he is doing in this world, to live out his ways and to live out this call and commission to shape the world in the image of God. Genesis 1 verse 26 to 28 is very important for us today. The, the cultural mandate is important for us today. And really one guy says, if image of God is our job title, then cultural mandate is our job description. This is a really huge part for us understanding what it means to be human and to walk with God in this world. So can I ask you just to pause for a second and think to yourself, if this is true, what does this mean for my life? What does this mean for my career, for my family, for my influence in the world around me? If I am called to these things, what does that demand of me? One last point. We don't have to be rocket scientists to see that the world around us is broken. I put up the stats, talked about some of the realities that we're seeing in our world around us. Our world is broken, our world is messy, and our world needs a savior. In fact, next week Shane's going to be talking on the fall and how sin entered into human history and really why the world is the way it is today because of the brokenness of what all of that has done. But our world needs a savior. And I want to say to you that the scriptures say this, we don't need another man we don't need another Adam to save the day. We're not looking to a president. We're not looking to some kind of clever economic people. We're not looking to better teachers or to maybe better um, law enforcement, people bringing justice into the world. All of those are good things, and that is what we're called to do. But really, we're not looking to another Adam. We're looking actually to a Savior to be sent from heaven. We're looking to Jesus, a second Adam, who would come and make the world whole and would reconcile us all to God. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, it speaks of this. It says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
And Adam, this first man who is made in this creation, the first human to walk the earth, is this poster boy for creation, and he's the poster boy for sin, because him and Eve are the first people to sin and disobey God and rebel against him. And because of that, God had to send his own son into the world to be the poster boy for a new humanity and a new world and a new reality and a new hope and a new way. And Jesus, rather than Adam, the poster boy for sin, becomes the poster boy for salvation and hope in our world. And if I can just give you three ideas out of the three big points of Genesis 1 and 2. It's amazing how the three things I've shared with you today all point ahead to Jesus already. The first is this. God made everything that existed by his word. As I said to you, God spoke and powerful things happened. And John, one of Jesus' best friends, writes in his gospel, John 1 verse 1, he says, In the beginning, sounds just like Genesis 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And a little bit down it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And there's this powerful idea that God created everything through his word, through Jesus. And now Jesus, the Word of God, has come into the earth. This powerful, um, life-changing, creative force inside human flesh to change the world and to speak light into darkness, to speak light into the darkness and brokenness of our lives and light into the brokenness of our world. Secondly, God made us in His image. But what's amazing is we've been made in God's image as His representatives, but Jesus in Colossians 1 is, is called the image of God. You see, when you see us, you see that we are made in God's image, we represent him. But when we see Jesus, we see God. So as we pray and spend time with Jesus, we encounter God. And as we read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see Jesus at work, we see God speaking and at work and doing his thing. And then ultimately, when we look to the cross and we see Jesus dying for the sins of the world, what do we see? We see God, his love for mankind and his hatred of sin. We see that because Jesus is the image of God. And thirdly and finally, God has made us with the task of shaping the world. That's what the cultural mandate is. That's what you and I are called to do. And I'm getting ahead of myself here because we're only going to get here properly in week seven. But the reality is one day Jesus will return and all things will be made new and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be no more sin or suffering or pain or brokenness in the world anymore. Everything will be perfect. And everything will be the way that God had intended in the beginning, before sin entered into our world. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day with great anticipation and excitement. I can't wait till that day where we don't have to worry or stress or cry or be disappointed or chase after other things. Because God will be in the center of it all, shining in His glory. We will know Him fully and finally, and we will be at peace, as will everything else. But until Jesus returns and makes all things new, The reality is this world will be broken. Bad things will happen. There will be tears and death and pain and sin. But you and I are called into the story of God and we are called to join Jesus in his purpose of renewing and reconciling the world to him. Colossians 1 verse 20 tells us that the same Jesus who created all things is now reconciling all things to himself by the blood of his cross. And that is our great hope. Red Point Durban, this is the beginning of the story of God. I would love to ask you to come every single week for the series because it is so important that we understand this better and fully get a worldview of the story that we find ourselves in. But I want to ask you two questions as we close today and then we'll stand, pray, and worship. Firstly, how do you respond to this Jesus 
the second Adam who has come to renew the world and reconcile it to God and to speak light into the darkness of our lives and our world. And secondly, how do you respond to God's call to be his image bearer, to be his representative, to be a king or queen ruling and reigning in this world and representing God and advancing his kingdom through your life? Can we stand together? Wazi and the band are going to lead us in just a few more songs of worship. But this is really a time to respond. It's a time to pray. It's a time to think and a time to enjoy God. And I just like to pray as I kind of set us up for this time. So if you don't mind closing your eyes. Um, Lord, your story is amazing. And um, it is a privilege to be part of it, Lord. I thank you for each one of us that we have been made and that we are a part of the story and that we get to exist and play a role in it. And I ask you to meet with us now, Lord, as we worship and as we sing. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to what you've put us on this earth to do, that you would help us respond to you, Lord. Sometimes we don't know how, sometimes we don't know what we should do, what it should look like, but would you lead us now, Holy Spirit? And I ask you just to be poured out on us, Spirit of God, and empower us, put to death in us the things that need to go, but empower us for what you're calling us to. And we want to respond to you, and we want to know you, and we want to serve you, Jesus. So would you help us to do that, I pray. Amen.